Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name is Julian Day, and with me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Jatinda Candola and Will Dalton. How are you guys? Good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Thank you. How are you, Julian? I'm all right. I've got a house full of toddlers, as you can probably hear in the background, and babies, because my wife's invited all her friends over with their kids. So apologies if there's some background noise on this recording, but uh, I haven't got another slot that we can do this in, so (laughs) good luck to Charlie with editing this. So uh, glad you're both doing okay. Let's do the news to start with. So I'll go first this week. Why not? So my news story is, I like to think of myself as the unofficial space guy of the podcast because I keep doing news stories on space things because I find them very exciting. This is Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson making it to space in their own self-funded, although not self-built, thank God, space vehicles. So there's a there's an interesting debate going on and a bit of a fight between the two of them about which of them actually made it into space. It depends on how you define space and where the edge of it is. Some people say it's 80 kilometers up and other people say it's the Kármán line, which is 100 kilometers up. And they are both now claiming to be astronauts, but rather hilariously, just after, I think it was after Bezos made his flight, the US government changed the definition of astronaut to basically somebody who has provided something useful by going into space (laughs) (laughs) and refused to give either of them astronauts wings. (laughs) <laughs> previously it was just didn't they cross- have their own made up astronaut wings that they do yeah the yeah their own their own oh. companies have made their own little wings for them because they're upset that they're- but anyway like all that cringe aside right what yeah. an achievement i mean this is incredible we're living in an age where commercial space flight is for the sake of just doing it for a laugh basically is is uh, happening it's not going up on a on an otherwise important mission anymore and looking out the window and coming back down this is this is literally vehicles that have been made just for the for the jaunt you know for the fun of it that's all they're there to do and to have done it self-funded as well alongside spacex obviously doing the amazing stuff that they're doing with with the more commercial side of space flight deliver payloads and stuff it's just incredible and i'm just amazed it's like living in the future do you know what i mean i i just i just found the whole thing extraordinary really the way they they both managed to do it. And the fact that obviously Bezos's craft lands its boosters just like Elon Musk's SpaceX company does, all that good stuff. So it's a bit more environmentally friendly, uh, if such a thing can be possible. What I found beautifully ironic about Bezos's spaceship is that it looks a bit like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Will Dalton, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> reliable <laughs> as ever. It does. It, it really does. That that actually struck me yeah, as well. It is true. extremely yeah. phallic. Uh, it kind of yeah. has to be because of the giant windows and and sort of capsule at the top. But it it does very much look like that, doesn't it? Make of that what you will. Imagine all the money that they use to get into space. What they could have done to like, for example, a common living wage for all workers, or efficient mass mass transport, or yeah. get rid of poverty. I know. I know. But I think there's something to human endeavor as well right i mean would you say that nasa wasted all the money on the moon landings given all the scientific progress and i'm just putting it there's always going to be a counter argument like that to sort of exploration and progress Uh, but yeah are there any other billionaires looking to do the same next then are there any kind of (laughs) no we've decided not to with our many billions i don't know is the honest answer to that jk i know there's there's obviously big expansions in the indian and chinese space programs at the moment yeah. Uh, I know that China landed a rover on Mars not long after the US did, I think. And obviously the Indian space program's done some amazing stuff recently. You know, there's there's a lot more nations who have not traditionally been at the forefront of this stuff, like Russia and uh, and the US 
doing these kinds of things now and actually succeeding as well and other nations trying to do it. I think it was, was it Iran or somebody who, no, sorry, was it Israel or somebody who tried to land a probe somewhere and it ended up crashing, but they still got to the planet. It was some, somebody did that last year, I yeah. think it was. There was one that slammed into a planet instead of landing because something went wrong in the landing cycle, but it was still amazing that they'd managed to do it. You can see, can't you, that maybe within our lifetimes, maybe not yours, Will, because you're ancient, but but within our lifetimes, you know, maybe we'll all go to space. Who knows? That was a joke, by the way. I'm sure. I'm sure you'll make it. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> Good, but um, <laughs> still laughing. It could be a thing, right? You know, it's the costs only going to come down mm. as it becomes safer yeah. and repeatable and all the rest of it. Just don't want to go in a massive dick. That's the only thing. Yeah, that I, I, uh, no. needs to look I don't like, want to go in like a London Mind bus you, or I'd, something like that. Yeah, I think I'd prefer to go in his because it's like it's a more traditional space rocket with that whole the whole feeling of being you know blasted off into space as opposed to Branson's, which is like a bit more like sort of going up in an aircraft on holiday, isn't it? And then yeah, having a bit true. of a, a bit of a a bit of acceleration afterwards. A, a bit, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Isn't Elon Musk designing like a car-like vessel for... The no, fish? he's designed... Um, so do you remember there was a video a while ago, I think I commented on it on a previous episode of the podcast maybe, where there was a big silver-looking thing which looks like a 1950 spaceship kind of design and it was trying to land and it flipped itself up onto its end in order to do a controlled landing and then it blew up. It, it crashed because oh, yeah. one of the engines failed okay. as it was doing it. So that is his spaceship design, yeah. which is oh, aimed yeah. to do the same thing, which is a giant chrome 1950s-looking mm. thing. Yeah. So that's probably the most cool looking of all of them because Branson's mm. just look like looks like someone broke a plane and mm. obviously Bezos' just looks like a big phallus. <laughs> and that's also the one that has probably the most kind of entertaining mix of the two approaches because it, it does the whole landing on its own tail thing. Uh, it doesn't yeah. throw the capsule off the top like Bezos' does. And, and the highest risk of whether you're going to make it or not. Well, just I mean... to a bit of spice. Maybe, but then again, <laughs> SpaceX have got way more of a track record than haven't they, with landing their boosters on a barge mm. in the sea and all the other amazing things they're yeah. doing every day, uh, which awesome. we don't even well, uh, yeah. Yeah. which we don't even talk about anymore because it's now so mundane. But they've been yeah. doing that for a hell of a lot longer than Branson and, and Bezos' companies have. So I'd kind of go with SpaceX, actually, if I was going to pick one, I think, probably. Anyway, I've spent yeah. too long on this story. Will, do you want to uh, do you want to go with your new story next? Hundreds of ways get shit done, and yet we still don't, from Wired. This is about to-do lists. And uh, the more the more uh, professional name, task management software. There are thousands of the things, aren't there? Evernote, Trello, which is what we use, Jira, which is what we use with our clients, Microsoft, etc., etc., etc. But actually, do they actually do they actually make us get stuff done? I think it is the is the subject of this particular article. We have a kind of psychological benefit of writing the things down. It gives us a kind of warm feeling that, <laughs> that actually we've done stuff, whereas actually all we're doing is writing it down and then presenting it to us every single day to show how we're failing in actually getting stuff done. <laughs> and, and, and that's the subject of the art. There's actual psychological you know, reasons why writing stuff down and presenting it back to us doesn't actually make us do it. What we should be doing is writing stuff down and doing a bit of planning, apparently. And that gives mm. us the feeling that, that gives us more progress than actually just writing, writing stuff down. Every to-do list is a midlife crisis of unfulfilled promise. I love that line. I thought I'd finish with that. <laughs> Somehow very you, isn't it? Everything is awful <laughs> and I'm grumpy about it. Yeah. I mean, the thing it helps me with is memory. I mean, I could not remember all the stuff that I've got to get done without putting it in something like that. And I like the fact that I can access it digitally rather than I used to carry around a note 
notepad and a fountain pen and write all my actions down, but that sucks in comparison. So I think there are some benefits to it, for me at least. And transparency, like just having a visual representation of all the things that you're trying to do, it helps me. Yeah, and and everyone else seeing what you're working on is another good angle to it, I suppose. I think a lot of the time these systems don't work properly because people don't use them properly. So yeah. like something like Jira is mainly there to support Scrum, right? The agile development methodology where you're supposed to only put tickets in that will be completed within the next two weeks or whatever. But a lot of the time, I know I'm guilty of this in my team, people put stuff in that is going to go on way longer than that and then just end up rolling it on and on and on and on. And that's not yeah. that's more the fault of the user than the tool, I guess, maybe. Anyway, Tinder, your new story. So mine isn't as fun but it's interesting. It's more of a stat than a news story. But, um, it's not as, as everybody... fun as a to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody would have noticed a lot of extreme weather events across the world going on in the last few weeks and months. And my stat is that natural disasters have cost insurance companies $42 billion in the first half of 2021. This is a 10-year high, according to Aon, which are a famous American insurance broker. So extreme weather events that have hit rich countries are more costly for insurance firms than ever before. 72% of globally insured losses have come from America. The largest one was the big freeze that hit America in February that cost $15 billion. It's cool, actually. I get a sort of sense of satisfaction that insurance companies are paying out. I don't know why. Oh, yeah, I guess that's... (laughs) It's a strange way of looking at it, but I I agree with what you're saying, that they finally do pay out. It costs them something. But But I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? You you can just see things becoming non-insurable, can't you? More and more things becoming non-insurable based off global warming and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, these extreme weather events and, and even, you know, just look at the flash floods we had in London the other day and stuff with cars floating know, off down crazy, the road. It? Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. just, yeah, uh, but, you know, Ridiculous. Trump said it isn't real, so we don't need to worry, right? <laughs> well, there you go. Not real. God bless America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure all of America thinks that. I think <laughs> that it was just right. him, to be totally honest with you. But anyway, whatever. Yeah, it's it's amazing, isn't it, the way it's manifesting quite so obviously now. It's It's scary. Scary stuff. Yeah. Anywho, less scary is this week's topic. So we're going to move on to that if we may. Nice um, so, like it. Indeed. I'm getting <laughs> yeah. better at my segues, right? <laughs> Today, we're going to talk briefly about virtual reality and augmented reality, what they are, why you should care about them, and why we're quite excited about the future of them, to be honest, because they're, they're definitely an area we're going to see grow more and more and more. There are a few challenges which we'll go through as to, to why they're not being more widely adopted at the moment, but uh, we'll come on to that a little bit later on. So first of all, virtual reality versus augmented reality. Does either of you two want to take a stab? Jatinder, do you want to explain to us what no, the difference no. between virtual and augmented <laughs> no, reality no. is? Okay, fine. Will, go do you want to do it or do you want no, me to do no. it? I'd have a, I'll, have a, I'll have a little stab. So Yeah, go for it. Virtual reality is exactly that. It's a kind of digitized or computer version of an environment of which you can interact with. Augmented reality is virtual reality is sorry, is the real world and you have and you've got digitized content overlaid onto it. And then let me add another one, mixed reality, which is a combination of real world environment with virtual objects within the world in which you can inter- and you can interact with both physical and virtual objects in that particular so how is that different to augmented mixed reality so augmented yeah good really good question uh, go on julian you do that one <laughs> <laughs> i do know it. i can i can have a stat i can have a stat. so 
So just to make out that I did, I did though, or at least I'll have a stab, is that augmented reality is real world with like information overlaid. So you could, for example, have your have a have your real world, and you could overlay like Google Maps onto it to show you which direction to go. Do you know what yeah. I mean? In in that yeah. same environment. Whereas with mixed reality, you've got physical objects and virtual objects that you can both interact with. Do you know what I mean? Right. So you could have a cup, you could have a virtual cup, for example, or a virtual yeah. pictures on a physical wall. Do you know what I mean? So, okay. or you could have you you know you could have a pub with virtual pints of lager that you could pick up for example, yeah. pretend to drink or stuff like that. That sounds anyway. awful. <laughs> a virtual pint that I can pick up and look at but can't drink. <laughs> what? Yeah, so I think mixed reality falls under, kind of under augmented reality, really. The original thing that you said, Will, was quite right. The simplest way to put it really is that whereas virtual reality completely replaces your vision and, and what you're looking at and the world that you're interacting with, augmented reality adds to the world that you're actually in. So it's exactly what you said. Yeah, good stab. Well done. So why, why do we care and, and why talk about it now? Well, the reason that I got interested in it now is because there have been some quite big uh, developments in both spaces recently in terms of uh, access mechanisms, right? So ways that you can you can interact with these kinds of technologies. Predictably, I'm going to go down the nerdy gaming route, as always, because the main thing that got me interested in it was the Valve Index. So Valve are a company who uh, developed some very famous video games called the Half-Life series, Half-Life 1 and 2, and then a bunch of DLC for that. They then invested all their profits into uh, creating a thing called Steam, which was a, or is, sorry, a very large uh, online store that allows for the virtual distribution of video games. It was the first really big one. It's still the biggest. I really like Steam. I use it a lot of the time. And they've more or less spent most of their time doing that. And then using the many, many billions that they've made from Steam to invest in interesting technologies and projects in the gaming space. And one of the things that spun, spun out of this is the, the index. So the index is a virtual reality headset and a pair of controllers for using to play video games, one of which they have developed, which was the first Half-Life game in about 10 years called Half-Life Alex, spelled with a Y. And that was the story of one of the characters from Half-Life 2, but told through virtual reality almost as a prequel. And what was different about the Index to all the other things like the HTC Vive and, and the Oculus Rift and other things that are out there is the level of, those are all virtual reality headsets in case anyone's wondering. The thing that's different about it is the level of interactivity has just been increased so much to such a greater extent. So for example, the two controllers that you hold in order to, to move your hands around in the virtual space, they now have a button for each of your fingers, which is touch sensitive, which means that if you squeeze it harder, it sort of causes your fist to close up more. So you can literally pick things up with two fingers now using this this system. Are they like gloves that you put they're on? Not gloves, no, they're not gloves, no. They're they're like oh. sticks that you hold, but but they've got these oh, pressure really? sensitive triggers. And so in the game, it's it's incredibly intuitive, but in the game you can literally wrap your fingers around the hilt of a sword or something like that by using these triggers. And it's amazing to watch people doing things inside the game. And they they knew that they'd they'd come up with something really remarkable. So they put things like some sort of Sharpie pens that you can pick up and just draw on a window with and stuff like that. And of course, in order to do that, you hold it like a pen, you know, but, but it's a virtual pen that doesn't really exist. But the way the controllers work makes it all come together. And I got to thinking, well, the applications for a, for a piece of tech like that are incredible in terms of using it for non-gaming things, as well as 
as the incredible experience of, of the game. And then just after that as well, Microsoft released a second headset of their own, which was called the HoloLens 2. Microsoft HoloLens is an augmented reality headset, not a virtual reality headset. So it has two transparent lenses, almost like glasses that, that come down over your eyes. And it's a big bulky headset because obviously it needs a lot of batteries and sensors and other things. What it does is it effectively allows you to have the sort of Star Wars or Iron Man or whatever style holograms just floating in the air in front of you, which you can then uh, which you can then interact with. Like the sort of like the first mobile phones, isn't it? Do you remember where you actually had quite you had a sort of a nice sleek mobile handset? But had to carry a two-ton battery on your back. <laughs> indeed, in a indeed. rucksack. <laughs> yeah. Although, in fairness, it, it is it has got much more practical. It's much better yeah. than the Hololens one was, that's for sure. But what it does is it allows you to to grab objects and move them around, and because you can see your own hands so that you can see them in front of your eyes if you hold them up. They can use a huge uh, array of sensors and cameras and stuff on the headset to actually allow you to use your hands without having to hold controllers. Whereas when you're in the the virtual Mm. world, in the Valve Index, you can't see your hands. You have no frame of reference, so you have to have controllers because otherwise you you wouldn't have a one-to-one mapping between what your character's hands in the game were doing and the Mm -hmm. position of your own hands in the room. It's all a bit complicated. But basically, these two devices in particular allow for so much greater sort of fidelity in terms of virtual worlds and what you can do with them. And I thought it'd just be interesting to have a chat through where VR and AR are actually at at the moment, because they're becoming more mainstream, right? So do either of you remember? um, Are they? Yeah. So do you remember Pokemon Go? Yeah. So Pokemon Go, if you've got kids, you'll know what Pokemon Go is, which is why you probably don't, JK. So Pokemon Go was a mobile phone app that absolutely exploded and again made billions not long ago. And it's an augmented reality app. So as you're walking around, you hold your phone up in certain spaces in the real world. You know, you actually walk around the city or whatever and there's Uh, there's things tagged on a map. And when you get there, there's these little monsters, these Pokemon, pocket monsters it stands for, in uh, it means in Japanese. And you go and collect them by throwing Mm. these ball things at them. It took off, it became massive and that was the first sort of mainstream augmented reality game. But there's other applications for it that have have come along. I found a few fun ones. But Will, I think you were going to talk a little bit about the history of this stuff as well, weren't you? So I've explained some of the, the recent developments in terms of peripherals and technology to get into these kind of worlds. But it all comes from people's obsession with sci-fi, I think, is what you were saying. Yeah, without getting into yeah the successes or failures of VR, I think if you look at the people and the characters that, that are involved in funding VR, augmented reality now, you know, they're all sort of back from the 80s, 90s, where sci-fi books that defined a lot of, you know, the, a lot of the technology that you see like Neuromancer or Snow Crash or even Ready, Ready Player One, which, which was made, mm. into, made into a movie. They're all about virtual reality or virtual environments, metaverse in Snow Crash. It sort of instills this dream of implementing this kind of technology that was in these sci-fi books. And I've sort of, I think we've always mentioned that sci-fi is like near future in a way. But it's that excitement of reading these sci-fi books and then wanting to implement it. And, and then these, the people that have been reading these sci-fi books, like, for example, the Zuckerbergs of the world, the Bezos of the world, who become really successful in their industry and have a lot of money, are investing in this kind of technology. But separating out the kind of dream of what they've read in the sci-fi books versus the actual performance of mm. virtual reality, where, Julian, you talked about, actually, it's taken off virtual reality. Has it really taken off? It's taken off, I think, in a few games, but is it used widely within other industries? I think, I think it's not. I think is 
do we still play games in a traditional manner? I think we do. You know, we're not all wearing headsets, are we? We're not all red wearing headsets for VR or augmented reality when we play games. I think it exists for games and the technology is getting better and better and better. But we still are actually, interestingly enough, playing games through our screens, through our through our keyboards, through our mouse, through our, through, through our joysticks. The, the investment in industries, the kind of disruptive nature that VR or AR had, happened really in the 90s in mm. other industries, including gaming and obviously porn goes with that. Do you know what I mean? Is that actually that disruptive, that, that disruptive nature happened in the 80s and 90s and, and, and that's gone now. All we're actually doing is actually just improving the tech. The disruptive nature, I'm not sure there is going to be a disruptive nature. I'm not sure there is going to be real performance gains. You know, we always talk about measuring the actual benefits but to see if there are tangible benefits. Are there tangible benefits or is it always just going to be a bit of a niche? Interesting. Yeah. So I would slightly disagree with that, actually, in in some ways. So I do I do know exactly what you mean. I mean, I remember going to London's Trocadero years ago, like when I was a kid, and there being VR games available there uh, even then. Mm. And this was in like, what, the early 90s or something like, you know, ages ago. And they, and they were super basic i mean nothing like what we have today but but they were still trying it even then i went to alton towers a while ago and they've got a vr headset that you can put on on a certain roller coaster which again is pretty basic to be honest it's, not, it's not great i did i did Was no i hated it i absolutely yeah, hated yeah, it because yeah. it, it, i i have never in my entire life felt motion sick on any kind of fairground ride ever once until I put this headset on and then I felt sick because I couldn't see the horizon and it's all to do with balance. It's the same thing as seasickness uh-huh. Uh-huh. where you're, the, the calibration of your balance in your inner ear goes wrong and it makes you feel nauseous because your brain suspects that you've been poisoned so it makes you throw up. I didn't throw up, but it made me feel sick and I, that really annoyed me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm never doing it again. But that actually would be better as an augmented reality thing because mm. then I could still see the world so I wouldn't get sick. So that's a, a quite an interesting, um, interesting thing. Going back to your point about how, how widely used it is. So in the research I've done for this episode, there are a number of different things that I've come across where it is getting far, far more common and, and more widely adopted. And mostly in the AR space, I think you're probably more right about the VR space. And I'll come on to that in just a sec. But I think it's probably worth talking about why that's been the case a little bit. So with virtual reality in particular, the reason a lot of us don't game with virtual reality, there's two reasons really. And, and I guess we'll talk about the, the challenges now and then we'll go into the cool use cases for it in a minute. So the, the first challenge is the peripherals themselves. So particularly virtual reality headsets and things like that tend to be big, they tend to be heavy, they tend to require multiple sensors around the space, particularly mm-hmm. if you're going to be doing a game where you're walking around in a virtual space. So you have to have a bunch of cameras screwed to your walls or sensors or what have you. You know, it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. It causes motion sickness in a lot of people, again, because you, you can't see the real world. So as you're moving your head around in this virtual world, it can make you feel, some people just feel you know, immensely nauseous within sort of 30 seconds of putting a VR headset on, even if they're standing still, just because their their balance just goes wild and they they just feel sick. Also, it's a processing power thing. So when it comes to gaming, or sorry, it's a rendering power thing. When it comes to gaming, typically the the gaming headsets that people use are very low resolution because you have to push twice the number of frames because you're pushing them to each eye. So if I've got a game and I want it to run at 60 frames per second, I have to run it crudely speaking, I have to run it at 120 frames per second because I'm pushing a frame to each eye, which is slightly different. Um, And so that means that the barrier to entry, the amount of money you have to spend on a good VR gaming PC is much higher 
even than a decent 4K gaming PC. So it's it's very, very expensive, which goes back to the whole rich rich kids playground thing. Those are the major reasons at the moment that we're not all gaming on, on VR headsets. And similarly, for augmented reality in the real world or virtual reality, until there's a way of miniaturizing this stuff. So I don't know if any of you guys remember um, Spider-Man Far From Home, the, the second MCU Spider-Man movie, in that Tom Holland gets a pair of snazzy looking glasses from Tony Stark and those are augmented reality glasses so he can see through them but everything is miniaturized into the frame so Hollywood is already throwing ahead to what we will one day be able to to use and do but until you can get something like HoloLens built into a pair of glasses effectively and you still have to wear this massive bulky headset thing with cables trailing out of it it's clearly not going to take off as much as it would do otherwise. So the growth in augmented reality is very much in the mobile phone space. So I remember going to Wimbledon a little while ago and they had an augmented reality map thing. So wherever you were, you could hold up your phone and it would sort of x-ray through the buildings and show you where you needed to go for the toilet or the food court or the strawberries and cream or whatever. And that worked really, really well. But the reason that worked as well as it did was because the space was was limited. You know, you were inside a walled compound, you couldn't go outside of it. And so therefore they knew exactly what reference points they needed to put in. So one of the future things that also needs to happen, as well as making the devices easier, is to allow it to function anywhere. Because at the moment it can't, you know, it has to be in a in a contained space. Even something like HoloLens has to be used effectively in the same space over and over again. And you've got a button you can press and it will scan the room that you're in and work out how big it is. And so it won't do stupid stuff like putting holograms under the floor or something. But it's still very, very tricky to get that that right. So Augmented reality on mobile phones, I think we'll see an even bigger growth in than we've already seen. Yeah, once the technology catches up a bit and things like uh, there's a technology called uh, SLAM that's coming along, which stands for Simultaneous Localization and Mapping, which basically uses the sensors to scan the world and, and build it into the simulation effectively of wherever you're standing. So if you're on a hilltop somewhere, it'll work out where you are and it'll be able to do interesting augmented reality based on that rather than on some developer coming along and dropping a load of pins on the map before you get there. Um, Stuff like that coming along, I think we will see quite a sea change potentially and a lot more adoption. Do you think it will take off more than 3D TV did? Because that kind of felt like... Yeah, it's totally different. Because 3D TV only has one application, which is I'm going to watch a movie and stuff's going to come out the screen at me, right? There are so many cool things to do with... AR and VR. Let's go through a few of them quickly. So probably the coolest one that I found was um, if you go into certain places uh, where they sell Rolexes, Rolex stores, you put your hand in front of a camera. No, I've never done it in my life. (laughs) Just just checking. (laughs) No, you know. Uh, But but if you if you do that, they've got these these iPads set up effectively with a camera, and what it does is it scans your wrist, and then you press on the screen and select what model you want to try on virtually there's a cool video i'll put it on twitter actually and um, it shows you the rolex watch to scale on your wrist and it looks it looks pretty good you know you can can just see it because i'm sure it's useful for you jk because you're there once a week right (laughs) it's such an expensive habit that it's worth (laughs) trying it on first (laughs) (laughs) i think you've had enough sir I'll tell you when I've had enough. It's a three-year um, waiting list for certain models, so it would be useful to know what it looks like. Is your name is on your all name of those waiting it? lists? Yeah. Yeah. Every single one. <laughs> but 
so other cool things, right? So I mentioned the Wimbledon app. Uh, Gatwick Airport recently won a uh, an award for how good they're... Because anyone who's been to Gatwick Airport knows it's an absolute bloody nightmare to navigate your way around, right? They recently won an award for their augmented reality app on people's phones. So you just, again, you hold your phone up and it goes, right, your gate's over here, walk in this direction and just mm. gives you an arrow, basically. And so mm. you just get guided to wherever you're going, which so is that, good. because that's, that's using your the camera on your phone to yep. do the real world and then augments the digitized information over it is that yeah so you hold your phone up and the camera on the phone scans obviously the corridor or whatever that you're in and the geolocation on your phone tells gatwick airport where you are because gatwick airport is a closed space and they know that the terminal building isn't going to change every day or whatever they then work out where the difference is between you and your gate and they give you directions which are then overlaid onto the real world so you just see like an arrow on the floor if you it's very clever useful but again it's it's within a controlled uh, closed space just like the wimbledon all England club example where they can control. Do you remember Google Glasses did a did something Google many Glass, moves yeah, ago, yeah. and they 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 spectacular. They went bang, didn't they? They didn't actually. Yeah, because again, it's the miniaturization thing, isn't it? It was yeah. so obtrusive and ugly as an as an AR headset and everything, and it had all these cameras on it that were filming people without their permission, and people got fed up yeah, with it. Yeah, that's right. It was a privacy thing, wasn't there going on? Yeah. Uh, there's another couple of things as well that I found. So Dulux, uh, they've got a visualizer, so you can hold your oh, phone up and look around good. your living room and select yeah, different colors, good. and it will no paint the walls. Paint samples. Nice. Yeah, it'll pa- no, it'll paint the whole room. So if your camera yeah. is taking in the whole room, it'll paint the whole room, but it doesn't paint the sofas and things. That's clever. <laughs> paint the sofa. Paint the dog. Well, you know what I mean? It doesn't just blanket the room in purple. It actually works out what's a wall and then it changes the colour. Have you tried it yet? I haven't, no. I was going to start asking you detailed questions about different times of day, sunlight. Also, unfortunately, because (laughs) my wife insists on Farrow and Ball, so (laughs) so I don't think they've got one. That's a very... That's a very oh upper class goodness. thing to say, isn't it? So God, we got sorry. that and Rolex in, in yeah. one podcast. Just Will Left Just Will Left. IKEA, so to bring it a bit more down market, more up your street, Will. Yeah, so um, th- they have like a thing where you can hold your phone up and, and superimpose uh, bits of their furniture into your room. Mm. So if you've got a space and you're thinking, will this fit? It'll superimpose it to scale as well, which is quite cool. So you don't have to get your tape measure out. Very clever. Yeah, good stuff. There's stuff around augmented reality in healthcare as well. So using it to help diagnose people and various different bits and pieces around uh, augmented reality diagnostic tools. So for example, if you've got to put it like a pulse monitor on a certain part of your body, you might hold your phone up and it'll tell you exactly where to put it, stuff like that. Hmm. I was thinking that for the surgeon, it would be a little arrow saying, Heart. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Anybody can touch. become a surgeon. <laughs> Upskilling my mechanics soon. Yeah. So that actually is uh, that is, is thing, one is of it? the major oh. future use cases. Yeah. So so Microsoft have started producing the HoloLens in various different industrial specifications. Mm-hmm. So you can get one for hazardous environments, and you can get one for medical mm-hmm. environments. So that as you are operating on someone, it can be feeding the surgeon information in real time that is overlaid on the patient's body. How cool is that? So if they've got someone using like a Doppler, for example, to check when they're doing heart surgery that they've closed off all the whatever it is. I'm not a heart surgeon, you know, valves or what have you. (laughs) No, but you know how they can do that where they get the red and the blue that shows the the flow of the blood through the veins and they check it all with a Doppler. They can actually overlay that onto the surgeon's thingy as a hologram so that they can effectively see through the person and see 
what the Doppler is showing the guy who's on the Doppler or whatever. That is super cool. Like that is cool being able to do that. I could see kind of a kind of reality where you send in, I'm not actually sure if it's VR or AR at all, but where you send robots into hazardous environments, but are actually you're actually visualizing what they're seeing, if you see what I mean, within yeah. a, within, That's a, within VR. a headset. Yeah. yeah. So so you yeah, so your own you're not looking through a glass headset at your world at, at a little else. video yeah. of the robot. Yeah. You're seeing what yeah. the robot and sees and that's that become way. your reality. Yeah. So that's a VR. But there's if you think about it, right, let's go back to the healthcare example. So the surgeon goes to perform the real app, the real op. He has a Microsoft HoloLens or a similar piece of technology in the future. It might just be a pair of glasses, right? Other vendors apply. And he goes to do the operation and he gets real-time information, you know, the patient's pulse, you know, all sorts of stuff overlaid onto the patient's body as he's working on them so that he doesn't have to ask. But before he does, yeah, football scores. Before he does the operation, on the other hand, he might use VR rather than AR to perform the operation mm-hmm. in practice on a three-dimensional reconstruction mm-hmm. of that patient's body that's been created using MRI and, and other technologies to give them the topographical data to model the patient's body. So there you go. You know, you've got a full end-to-end kind of thing of AR and VR interacting where when he's doing the real operation, he does it in AR. And when he does the practice one, he mm-hmm. can do it in VR. That's pretty cool. Similar things exist for architecture, for the automotive industry, for tourism so you can go on on your virtual holiday before you I've go on the real one i've kind of done that there's this thing i went to vancouver a few years ago and basically you can do this kind of vr activity where you put on a headset and you kind of watch the entire city and you you're kind of flying over all of the kind of um, major landmarks so you see the city whilst you're in the city by sitting in a room with this kind of cinema like you're not in the city what what did you make of it did it give you that Vancouver feeling? No, it was a bit weird. It was just like, um, yeah. I think that <laughs> it, it might be more impressive in a place like Singapore where there's a like lot of kind of high rises yeah. and stuff like, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. In a place like Vancouver where it's not, it's not that type of city where it had the impact that I, I would have thought. Mm. I think a place like London would be quite interesting to try it there. But uh, it's just a bit gimmicky, I think, for me. Because I'd, I'd feel like that. I'd feel like... Why why am I doing a VR of a holiday? The point of a holiday yeah, is that in you're, the place. you're going to the place, isn't it? You're getting away yeah. from it all. Whereas VR is you're still in the same yeah. bloody place. So <laughs> I, I always thought the holiday the VR in holidays was a bit gimmicky. I could yeah. understand it from a house point of view, John, with your visitors. You want I suppose you want to just check something out before you make the effort. Yeah. 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 Real yeah. estate, right? Yeah. yeah. That's another of the use cases mm. I found. Yeah. Yeah. Real estate, look around a property. And you can very often these days when you go to a property website, there's a virtual tour mm. enabled yeah. on yeah. the web page. But you know, just imagine in the future that you had a pair of glasses which could either do AR or VR mode, you know, either the lenses blank out or they, they remain in, in AR mode. And, and, you know, you could literally just put the glasses on and go mm. walking around the house. You know, that's the kind of future that we might be looking at one day. But you, you've got to crack the processing power and, and rendering we not done problem. That yet, and you've got to crack the, well, we can do it, but the problem is it's very, very yeah. expensive and very, the you know, there isn't enough optimized architecture for it. And it's certainly not miniature enough. You know, it's just too bulky and unwieldy and, too much of a pain at the moment but um as it becomes easier it's i I think we will see more of a resurgence in it i I think there will be sort of a a new wave of this kind of stuff but you've just got to get rid of the pain around the interactivity i mean in the far future you might even see implanted solutions there are people who are working on that kind of scary stuff where they just shoot it straight into your (laughs) eyeballs anywho i think that would be my conclusion around that did you guys have anything else to to say really about it i I think it's coming it does feel like it's coming well the, the money's still there as i said right at the beginning 
You know, mm. Facebook is still uh, 18 billion they invented. Because they, they, they bought out Oculus, didn't they? 18 billion. A year. 18 yeah, billion 18 billion a year, isn't it? Annual research budget on, on VIR. So, yeah, yeah, money's still there. But as I said, it is still a rich yeah. white kids <laughs> technology thing. Mm. I think it'll become less so. I think it's definitely something that's worth kind of uh, investing in for certain industries like healthcare or, uh, let's say, law enforcement as well. I think areas where it'll mm. make a, a lot of engineering as yeah. well. Yeah, a lot of areas engineering where stuff. it will help make a big difference. I think uh, where it feels a little gimmicky and stuff. I think that that obviously it's something that allows people to to kind of pass their time, but it's not really going to kind of make any mm. positive difference I think, to the world. I think you're right. Yeah, I think for me the. Actually, a lot of the perceptions that people have of VR, because it's been around in the entertainment industry for a long time and has been a bit crap, is that it is a bit crap because of that. But when you actually go and have a look at some of the places where people are using things like HoloLens and the fact they're going to all the expense and time and money of of creating, you know, sterile versions Mm. for medicine and you know, toughened versions for industry, which have got like a hard hat built into them and stuff. You know, they're doing yeah, it for a absolutely. reason. And it's it's fascinating to see that that sort of finally starting to get closer to the, uh, ironically, to the reality, you know, the, the the dream becoming closer to to real. Anyway, good place to stop. Let's do the recommendation section, uh, if we may. Uh, Jatinda, did you want to go first this week with yours? Yep. Most people will probably starting to be taking a few risks and thinking about going on holiday abroad. If not abroad, you might still be looking for hotel hotels across the country and something that I've been using over the last few weeks that I noticed seems to have better pricing than its competitors is a website called skyscanner.net. Oh uh, yeah. I find that very good pricing compared to some of the, the other kind of different websites that you can use and it's good at comparisons. So if you're looking just for a hotel or if you're looking for flights as well, it's, it's something I recommend. I had a contract in Amsterdam actually. I use that all the time. Get the best yeah. price for my whatever flights, EasyJet or other other nice. brands apply. It was, yeah, really good, really good website. Yeah, it's quick yeah. as well, isn't it? Yeah. I, I find it, it yeah, brings it back really results did. quicker yeah. than some of the others. Yeah, good reco. like that one. Uh, Will, do you want to do yeah, yours next? Mine's from the from MIT again. I, I think MIT has become my new The Medium. <laughs> you are nothing if not consistent. <laughs> the same place for good stuff. Uh, this is an interesting one, actually. This is about a game about the evolution of trust, uh, and it's based off game theory. It's a little app, and it sort of it looks at how and why we've stopped trusting authorities and also stopped trusting each other, and what we can do to dissuade that. The whole game is is based around really what happened in World War One when. The German and British left the trent- trenches after they were fighting each other for so many years, left the trenches, and the sort of peace broke out. Do, do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, the Christmas incident when they played football. Yeah. Was that it? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, what? Because it was Christmas Day and they didn't well, want to shoot it was each Christmas, other. But it, uh, I think it, 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 there was a, like an environment of which Christmas obviously being Christmas Day, but there was an environment that was put in place about why that happened, why suddenly you know, they left the trenches, started trusting each other, in order to then play a football match. This is an app that goes through all the different permutations. There's different kind of characters involved. The game that is involved. So it's not a zero-sum game. It's a non-zero-sum game, which is basically where you can have mm-hmm. people that can both benefit. A zero-sum game is winners and losers. It's the, the Nash yes, equilibrium yeah, thing, isn't yeah. it, from our Game yeah. Theory it, episode? It looks as pay off the reward matrix that's involved in this. It's really interesting, actually. But and present- This is your idea of a game. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is. It's presented as a game. It's presented as a game. No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. It It sounds fascinating. Yeah, it it sounds right up my street. Um, 
and is also quite mm. quite pertinent, quite apt in terms of what's happening. If you look around society, mm. what's poignant? Yeah, thank you. Well, that's looking around society, what's happening with society, and the kind of levers that we need to pull to to start, you know, turning into a more trusting, tolerant society. Very good, nice. So my recommendation, quickly, uh, is to stop. Well, it was basically something I found to stop myself from being a, a terrible person. So I obviously <laughs> our, our values at, at DDK are very around, around the environment and stuff. But unfortunately, I'm a terrible person who owns a who owns a Nespresso machine, which is about the worst thing for the environment you can imagine in some ways. So I used to laboriously scrape the top off every single one of the aluminium pods that I bought, empty the coffee out, recycle that, and then put the aluminium wash the aluminium out and put it into the recycling. But I got a bit fed up of that, particularly because I'm an, an addict and I didn't start throwing them in the bin. Don't panic. But what I did do was go and get myself onto the Nespresso recycling scheme, which I'm going to recommend. So basically, when you buy uh, some coffee from from them, you can put a free bag, a plastic bag in your in your basket and they send that to your house and you fill it up with with aluminium pods. So you can't put plastic ones in it, but you can put aluminium ones in there. And once it gets to a certain point, you seal the bag up and you tell a person to come and collect it, which is quite neat. So they take them off to a recycling plant and uh, they they do what I used to do manually, but they do it all for you. So it's it saved me, you know, I don't know how many minutes of my life not scraping the top of all of these flipping things and, and rinsing them all out and putting them in the recycling. So yeah, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, you, you put the bag outside your front door and a couple of days after your latest order gets delivered to you of, of fresh pods or whatever, they come and pick it up and take it off so um yeah pay for it's that. good it works nice. and it's you don't pay right. extra for it but you have to you can't order it on its own as a service so i have a subscription with them anyway to get my my coffee oh, yeah. pods through but if you are doing that you can chuck this as a service in as a, like a like a bonus mm-hmm. like part of it so it's good because it means that they've thought it thought it through so although they're doing something that arguably is is very bad for the environment and we shouldn't be doing anyway. If you are going to do it, at least this gives you a, an environmentally there's friendly a, uh, way of doing it. There's a service called, which I might do a recommendation of, called TerraCycle, actually, which is quite similar but broader than what, what you've just described there, where you can order. Save it for next time. <laughs> but yeah, don't forget, that sounds good. But yeah, I was just pleased anyway to find nice a way well. of doing well, it that was less time yeah. intensive for me, but yeah. good for the planet. We like those things. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. I mean, if you're going to do something silly like drinking coffee, which is bad for the planet anyway, then at least try and mitigate the impact in some way, right? With that said, I think that's the show, chaps. Thanks very much once again. Uh, As usual, we've gone massively over time, but hey, we only do these once a month, so it's probably worth it. If you want to get in touch with us, if you're out there listening, please give us a shout. We'd love to hear from you. We are on ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That's ddkpod at ddklimited.com with limited spelled out in full. If you want to ping us on Twitter, we're at ddklimited. And if you want to get us on LinkedIn, we are Dalton Day Candola. So just remains for me to say a big thank you to uh, Will and Jatinda for being with us today. Big thanks to Charlie for editing as usual, and I will catch you next time. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers.